would, go ahead and turn to chapter or chapter 2 of Numbers. We'll be picking up kind of where we left off. We uh, started last week with this new sermon series on Numbers, and we began by talking about how Numbers at times is a difficult book. Sometimes it even feels like a tedious book as we go through it. But we looked at Corinthians and how in Corinthians Paul begins to lay out for us that the things that happen, the things that are recorded for us in, in Numbers and, and really the whole of the Old Testament were recorded for that others, that the generations that come after would have an example of how to serve a holy God, how to, how to live this life that we've been called to in relationship with a holy God. And he goes further than that a little bit later in that passage to talk about how that not only did these things happen that we may have an example, but they were recorded, they were written down so that we would have an example. And so as we read Numbers, no matter what the, the chapter may be talking about, as we read Numbers, we should come to it with an approach of what is the example? What here is God trying to tell us about how we now relate to him, how we now live with him? And chapter 2 is no different. Though on its front, as we read chapter 2, it is full of big names that I am sure to butcher here in about three seconds. And it's full of big numbers. And it's full of things that maybe we don't even really understand why we're reading what we're reading. We need to approach it saying, Lord, open this up. Lord, show me what it is that you would have me to understand. Show me the example that you're giving me here. And how I relate to you. If you would, if you're able, would you please stand with us? We're going to read Numbers chapter 2. We're going to do our best to read Numbers chapter 2 in its entirety. And so starting with verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side towards the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies, the chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadab. His company listed as 74,600. To camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of, the Issa of Issachar being Nathaniel, the son of Zoar. His company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun, being Elab, the son of Helon, his company as listed being 57,400, as those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall set out first on the march. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies, the chief of Reuben being Eleazar, son of Shadur, his company as listed being 46,500, and those to camp next to him shall be of the tribe of Simeon, the, son, the chief of the people of Simeon, being Shemuel, the son of Zurishadai. His company as listed being 59,300, the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad, being Elisaphat, and the son of Reuel. His company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies for 151,450, they shall set out second. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps, 
As they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim and their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishama and the son of Amenahud. His company as listed being 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the pe people of Manasseh, being Gamil, the son of Pethazur. His company being listed as 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of Benjamin, being Abaddon, the son of Gidonai. His company as listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Izer, the son of Amishadai. His company as listed being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher, being Pajil, the son of Pokran, his company being as listed 41,500. Then the tribe of Naphtali, the chief of the people of Naphtali being Hari, the son of Iman, his company being listed as 53,400. All those of the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last standard by standard. These are the people of Israel as listed by their father's houses. All those listed and their camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they set out each one in his clan according to his father's houses. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we read this list. We read these instructions, and we see these names that you have recorded for us for all of human history and Lord we sometimes approach it and we don't know what to do with it Lord as people of this time and of this age Lord we look back on this history and we look back on this instruction and we wonder Lord what is the example for us and Father to our shame in some ways we tend to skim over these chapters to ignore them, Lord, rather than coming to you and asking for your help. Father, you desire to speak to it through us, or to us, through your word in all things. And so, Lord, we ask today for help, or we ask for understanding, we ask for the ability to discern in a way that is true to your word and is true to your meaning, and not just what we make up what we feel that day, but what is true. Father, we pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was joking with a friend one time about reading these types of passages, and he said, go try to read it in Malagasy. And I, I kind of laughed, and then I start, stopped and wondered why he had said that, and I went back, and in Malagasy, the numbers are about five times the length of what we have. They just print a number, but the way that you have to read it in Malagasy, for instance, would be 600,000 plus 3,000 plus 500 plus 50. Like, and that's how you have to read every single number. And he, go, and he said, now try to preach out of that. And I was like, fair enough, my friends, fair enough. We read a passage like this, though, and we kind of sit there and go, what? Like, 
I imagine if I had you raise your hand of how many of you have read through the Bible, how many of you probably just skimmed through this, this chapter as fast as you could go and went, phew, I got that done today, thank goodness. And how many of you were probably sitting there today and going, man, there's no way he's reading these names right. And my question to you would be, do you want to try? <laughs> like, it's difficult, isn't it? It's confusing. And if you're like me, when I read this chapter, sometimes I have a hard time picturing what's happening. Sometimes I have a hard time forming. And so a little bit of what I want to do before we get too far into the passage is try to give us just a brief picture of what's going on. And so I feel bad for you running PowerPoint today because this is going to be a little difficult. But the first one, the first click, should have for us the tent of meeting in the middle. Okay, and hopefully you can read this, but if you can't, I'll try to describe it. So we have the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, and it sets in the middle of everything. The tent of meeting, for those of you that may not know, is where God dwelt with his people while they were in the wilderness. Okay, the temple had not been built yet. Obviously, they were still traveling, and so God dwells with his people in the tents of meeting and that is the place of worship so we have that in the middle then as is described in the chapter we have the people of israel around the camp the first of which on the east is issachar judah and zebulon now it's interesting we're not going to dig into a lot of this right now but it's interesting that judah is on the east which is where the entrance to the temple was because judah as some of you may know was going to be the tribe of the kings okay david would come out of judah and eventually jesus christ would come out of the tribe of judah and so it is fitting that that is where they are placed at the east side at the front of everything where they can be in a in a role of leadership the second thing the second group that we see is on the south side and that is gad reuben and simeon okay Gad, Reuben, and Simeon. They are on the south side of the tent of meeting. And then on the west side, you have Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Now, for those of you that don't know much about your uh, maybe Old Testament history, we, we kind of did a quick recourse um, in, in last week. But one of the things that you'll see is obviously, or not maybe not obviously, but Jacob also known as Israel, had 12 sons. And those 12 sons um, become the tribes of Israel. However, there's a slight substitution that happens. Okay, We saw last week that the Levites were not counted among the people. And we see that here as well. The Levites are called out to be separate. They're to be a priesthood. They're to serve God and God alone. They're not to be fighters. They're not, And they will not inherit land when they go in because God is their inheritance so that leaves us with 11 you'll also know that notice as we go around the camp that you won't see the name joseph joseph was one of the 12 sons joseph you'll remember is the one that the other brother sold into slavery and then he became second command in egypt and was actually able to save his family from famine but you won't see his name up here either what happens in god's providence is that joseph has two sons ephraim and manasseh and those two sons are blessed by Jacob and by God, and they become the tribes to make 12, okay? Ephraim takes Joseph's spot, Manasseh takes the Levite spot, all right? And so that's where these two names come from. They're on the west side. And then lastly, on the north side, we have the last three tribes, which are Asher, Dan, and Naphtali. And those, that incorporates the whole section, all right? 
you see that wrap around the tent of meeting. They would have filled in the gaps. You'll see some places where they kind of say it looks like a cross, and, and there is some truth to that. There's some symbolism there. But it's really a square. Like they would have, you know, Asher would have not had space between them and Benjamin. It would have kind of kind of come together a little bit. Um, so they formed a square around the town. You see this again, by the way, if you want to do a little bit more research. You'll see the same sort of structure in Revelation as John is describing the new Jerusalem and he begins to describe the gates, okay? The gates around it, that the new Jerusalem is a square and it has three gates on each side and and there's some representation of that as well here. The last thing that you see uh, as we look at this setup as how they would camp, would you have the people around, you have the Levites, and you're going to have to click that four times, um, but you're gonna, you have the Levites all the way around the tent of meeting, all right? They are a buffer between the people and the tent of meeting. Um, when you read there in the beginning of chapter 2, that the, they, in verse 2, they shall face the tent of meeting on every side. That word face has a literal meaning that we think of that when you face someone, okay? They face the tent of meeting as they camp. But it also has a definition that goes along with it to include that there was some space, okay? It, it's You face someone, but from a distance, all right? The people of Israel were not right next to the tent of meeting. Um, some scholars write that there may have been about a thousand yards, in fact, between the tent of meeting and the people uh, of Israel. So think about like 10 football fields all the way around, okay? So you have quite a bit of space, and in that space dwelt the Levites. And we'll get to why they were there in just a little bit. But that kind of gives you hopefully a picture of what is being described here in chapter 2. The second thing that he describes in the what question, the second thing he describes is how they were to set out. So the first one is how we're to camp when when they're to be still. The second part is how they are to travel. And it's the same kind of order. They're grouped by three. You have Issachar, Judah, and Zebulon in the front. Then you have Gad, Reuben, and Simeon. And then you have the tent of meeting carried by the Levites in the center, again, of everything. Then on fourth, you have Asher, Dan, and Naphtali. And then bringing up the rear from that western side is Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. And so that order, kind of backwards the way you would read, but from Judah through, through Ephraim, that is how they would travel as they went from one place to another following the Spirit of God. All right. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of a visual to think about as we're talking about all of this. But yet, when we describe all of that, and when we talk about all of that, we still get to the end of the chapter, even if we can picture it, even if we can understand it and go, huh? What, what do we do with that now? Okay, we know how Israel camped. Big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Because just like the rest of the book there is set for our example, so too is this chapter. And what, what, what I want to draw your attention to this morning is the locations of, of three groups. First, I want to draw your attention. We should pay attention to where a holy God resides. Where is God in all of this? Number one is he is in the middle. He is in the middle. 
He is the center of their entire existence in the wilderness. When they came out of their tent in the morning, they would have looked up and seen the tabernacle. When Judah, a man of Judah or a woman of Judah, would have wanted to talk with someone of Benjamin, they would have had to walk around the tent of meeting. And the whole time they would have been reminded as they were walking around, I'm doing this because God is there in the center. Everything in their life, their worship, even their economy, everything was centered on the middle. It was centered. God was their anchor, so to speak, and we'll get to that later too. Second, we need to see that a holy God was not only in the middle, but he was in a tent. He was in a tent. Now, it was an elaborate tent, don't get me wrong. It was made of some of the most precious materials in all of the world. It was built sturdy. It was built well. It was built carefully. This is what we now call glamping. Like, it was special, all right? This tent was exactly what it was supposed to be. It stood out. But don't confuse it. It was still a tent. The God of all the universe, the God that had created everything, in a time where there would have been pyramids, in a time when the the other rule, the other nations, the other countries of the world were bringing and building great structures to their pagan gods. The God, the true God, was living in a tent. Think about that for a minute. Why? Why was he living in a tent? Because he wanted to be with his people. This holy God was with his people. He was not distant. He was not far away from them. He was not setting things in motion and then watching how it played out he was with them i think it's interesting here to tie this by the way to second samuel if you want to write this down i'll read it to you but second samuel chapter 7 we have a record of a, of a time in king david's life david by this point had pretty well established his kingdom he'd already done some of the most amazing things uh, that we see recorded in the old testament And in chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. It says, Now, when the king, King David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord your God, for the Lord is with you. By that, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I not lived in a house, and have I not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day? But I have dwelt, I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? David looks out and he thinks to himself, I am in a palace. I am in this magnificent home that's sturdy and well-built. And yet God lives in a tent. We've got to do something about this. And it makes sense to Nathan. Nathan's like, yeah, go for it. Nathan was a great advisor of David and a prophet of God. And Nathan was like, yeah, that makes total sense. Do it. 
But God comes to both of them and says, no, not yet. He would later, he's going to tell David that his son Solomon's going to build him a temple, but he says, not yet. He goes, I have never once, God says, I have never once asked for a temple to be built. I've dwelt in a tent this whole time, and I've never complained. I've never wanted more. God's desire is to be with his people, to be with us. So we see here God in the middle, God in a tent, and God with his people. The second thing that we should pay attention to is where the Levites are. We should pay attention to where the Levites are. First, we should understand, again, that the Levites are servants of God. Okay, let's not forget that. The Levites have been called out. Moses and his brother Aaron were part of this tribe. They had been called out and set apart to serve God. They were to take care of the tent. They were to take care of everything inside of the tent. They were to take care of the courtyard that surrounded it. They were to tear it down and carry it when they were traveling. They were to be the ones that set it back up when they stopped. They were the ones that were serving God in this manner, and that was their only duty. Not only that, but you had the, pro- the priests. The priests were a special section of the Levites, and they were called to serve in the temple on a daily basis, doing the sacrifices, doing uh, the, the showbread, making sure candles were lit and all the such. They were the intermediates. They were the mediators between the people and a holy God. Why did they need to do this? Why did this buffer need to happen? Why did, did a special tribe need to be assigned? Why did there need to be priests? Because it was for the protection of the people. It was protection for the people. This was a holy God, but Israel was not yet a holy people. Yes, they had been called. Yes, they had been made his people, but their sacrifices were needed daily. The priest's job was never done. It wasn't like, man, nobody sinned today, so I guess we don't need to sacrifice any goats. No, people sinned all the time. Continually, the priest had to be doing their job. Continually, they had to be going in and checking to make sure things were right. Continually, they had to be receiving offerings from the people and making sacrifices at the altar. Their job was never done because sin was never done. Sin never was, was entirely conquered here. There needed to be one. There needed to be a, a select few that could go before God for the people. There needed to be someone to protect the people so they didn't accidentally stumble in to something. To remind them of who God was and what he was doing in their midst. So, the, so we have the Levites in the middle, or we have God in the middle. We have the Levites protecting the people, surrounding them. And then lastly, we come to the people, the people of God. First, we see that God was their anchor. Again, like we talked about earlier, everything they did revolved around the tent of meeting. It's what they saw all the time. It's what they had to walk around all the time. It's what they went to when they needed something. This was the, the hub of all things in their life. Second, notice that they are with their families. Notice that God tells them to camp with their families under their symbol, under their house symbol. He doesn't have some obtruse way to figure out where they were supposed to be. It was quite simple. Figure out 
who your dad was, figure out who your great-grandfather was, and go camp with them. Go camp with them. Serve with them. Live life with them. Not only were they with their family, though, they were in their community. Notice they were with a specific community. Judah was not by itself. That family was not by itself, but rather it was in community with two other tribes. They worked together. They served together. They walked together. They went out together. In fact, Reuben and uh, Reuben and the tribes that are with him become close enough that there's some other things that take place later when they get to the promised land that they want to still be close to each other. They are with not only their family, they are with a community. So we see this picture. God in the center, the Levites protecting the people, surrounding, leaving a buffer, and then we see the people on the outside encircling the camp with their families in community. So what's our example here? When we look at this passage, what's our example? The first one you can probably guess. God is still our anchor. When we look at this passage, we should be reminded for ourselves today that God is still our anchor. It's not to be ourselves. It's not to be uh, other people. It's not to be our hobbies or other idols that we may make up. Rather, as we live our daily life, God is to be in the middle. I, I thought about this week. thought about this week. When I wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that I look for? What's the first thing that I seek out? You know, these people, they come out of their tent and they look up and they see the tabernacle. I mean, it's an instant reminder of who's in charge. It's an instant reminder of who protects you, an instant reminder of who the provider is. Where do I look in the morning? Where do I look in the morning? Is, it, is God my anchor, or is my world revolving around something else? Second, we are to serve with our family. We are to serve with our family, and really that should say in our community. We serve with our family in our community. Have you ever pondered, really, the family that you were born into? Some of you may have been going, yeah, and I asked why. <laughs> okay. Hopefully not. But your family, the family that you were born into, that wasn't an accident. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't, huh, that sounds good. God had a plan. And he put you with the family that he intended you to be with. Have you ever thought about the community you were born into? Or the community that you have come into, as Melissa and I have? It's not an accident that you're in Vandalia, or at least in the surrounding area. It's a purpose. It's a plan. Have you ever thought about the fact that you're here at First Baptist and not somewhere else? That you're part of this church family? That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Have you ever thought about your talents, your gifts, your passions? Those aren't accidents either. God has placed you with a family. He has placed you in a community. He has placed you with a body of believers and he has given you gifts and talents for a purpose. This is 
not the only place that we see this. We see this as a precursor to what Paul would talk about later in Ephesians with the body of Christ. We are all a part of it. We all have our own gifts, our own talents. We all are a hand or an eye or an ear. If we try to do someone else's job, it ends up going very poorly. But if we don't do our own job, it goes just as poorly, if not worse. We are in a spot, not by coincidence. Thirdly, and lastly, as unbelievers, we need a mediator. And to a certain extent, believers still need a mediator. But as unbelievers especially, we were unable, unable to come to a holy God unable to approach the Holy of Holies, unable to have a relationship with a God who desires to dwell with us. I think about the Israelites, and I think and I wonder how many of them would have desired to look into the Holy of Holies. How many of them would have desired to look into even just a holy place, but never had the opportunity? How many of them would have desired that taste of glory, but were unable They needed a mediator. We too needed one. But praise the Lord. Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest. This is where I love the book of Hebrews. Hebrews describes to us that Jesus is a different type of high priest. That he is the ultimate high priest. The, The priest of the Levites, they would serve a term and there was actually a retirement age for them when they no longer could serve. Jesus was not like that. Jesus is eternally the high priest. Not only that, but like I said earlier, the priest had to come and they had to offer sacrifice again and again and again. And their work was not done until that age of retirement. In in difference, in change, Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross, he completed that part of his mission. He completed it. And now he doesn't work forever, but rather he sits at the right hand of the Father because he has said, it is finished. Praise the Lord. It is finished. And now, 2 Peter 2.9 says, but now that we, as believers, as those that have accepted this gift, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you and I, because Jesus was the ultimate mediator, he brought ultimate peace between man and God so that those of us who have put our faith and trust to him, no longer do we have to sit on the outside of camp, but now we can walk into the Holy of Holies before a holy God, before a glorious God, and see him in all of his splendor and worship him there, not wondering what it's like to have a relationship with God, not wondering how he is inside of that tent that seems so far away, but rather being able to experience Him in our day-to-day lives, being able to pray directly to Him, not needing anyone to stand between us. Though certainly we also see that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf when we don't know how to pray. We go with boldness, Hebrews says. That is awesome. We use that term way too much, and I am probably chief of the 
offenses of this. We say awesome when it doesn't rain outside. We say awesome when it does rain outside. We say awesome when a piece of candy tastes good. We say awesome when a TV show that we like comes on. We say awesome when someone gives us a a compliment. That's great, but truly, that is not awesome. Awesome is awe-inspiring. Awesome is when we stand before a holy God. And our jaws drop open. The fact that he dwells with his people. A holy God. A just God. The fact that he desires us. That should leave us awe-inspired. As we think about the encampment of the Israelites. By their families. Around of meeting around the tabernacle we should not just read quickly through it we should not just breeze through it and think eh, it's just a bunch of names rather you and I should look at this and be reminded of what Christ has done we should be reminded that no longer do we stand on the edges of the camp but rather we are in his midst with a God that desires to dwell with us. What does the end of Second Peter say there? What was the end of that verse? Why have we been made a royal priesthood? Why have we been made a holy people? So that we may announce the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous brothers and sisters we have been given access to a holy God we've been given access to a powerful God we have been put in a family and a community and a body of believers so that we may announce his excellencies let us grab hold of that let us marvel in that let us worship that and let us do it with all of our might going to ask the praise team to come back up let us respond to this let me pray father we come before you a holy god 